Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, friends. This is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 12. So, um, I've always felt the closest to God and my faith around people who have suffered and people who have gone the way that I've gone through. And so I think right now, personally, I just need that. <laughs> I need that. I need it again. I'm my favorite. Eliel Cruz is a prolific speaker and writer on religion, LGBT issues, and culture. Uh, he's a leading bisexual activist and has spoken across the country on issues pertaining to the bisexual community, media representation, uh, as well as faith and sexuality at universities and conferences alike. Uh, he's been published in The Advocate, Religion News Service, Huffington Post, Upworthy, Teen Vogue, Details Magazine, Sojourners, the list goes on and on and on. Rolling Stone, Eliel is incredible. Uh, And he's also the creator of a hashtag that I think a lot of us are really familiar with, uh, hashtag FaithfullyLGBT. It's a hashtag that I know I use a lot. I see a lot of people who listen to this podcast using it a lot. Uh, And Eliel was the one who started that hashtag, started that community. In this episode, we talk about uh, bisexuality, uh, a little bit more about bisexual erasure, and then we also talk about what's going on with Faithfully LGBT. Uh, Eliel has launched a new Indiegogo campaign to try to raise money to continue the work of Faithfully LGBT, uh, especially in the photo series that they've been doing uh, over the past couple years and and trying to move into video, uh, which is really exciting. Up front, uh, you'll notice the audio quality in this interview is lacking. Uh, I apologize for that. I had an audio engineer work on it. This is about as good as it's going to get. So just bear with it. It's an incredible interview, uh, but my apologies for that audio quality. We did the best that we could with it, uh, and uh, I hope that you'll still be able to hear what Eliel has to say because it is some really, really good stuff. So let's go ahead and dive in. Eliel, welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for being here today. (laughs) I'm excited to talk with you. Yeah. Uh, So to start, uh, this is a question that I ask everyone because I think it leads to some really interesting places. Uh, But how do you identify and then how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity? Um, I identify as a bisexual Christian. Okay. I think that's, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's so it's so weird to say that I identify with anything else besides my sexuality. I mean, because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm Puerto Rican and I'm Latinx. Mm-hmm. And those are things that have always just been like a duh, uh, both mm-hmm. because I was born in Puerto Rico, my family. From there, my, bis- my bisexuality has been the thing in my life that I've had to outwardly identify mm-hmm. um, for folks to really, to name that and claim it. Mm. Um, my faith has shaped it in a lot of ways and in, and in turn my identity has shaped my faith in other ways as well um, my faith has shaped it in that um, 
I've been able to accept and love myself in ways that I didn't know was possible mm. um, by uh, meditating on my identity and realizing it's God-given. Mm. Um, and my identity being bisexual and it being in and of itself non-binary and beyond um, gay or straight um, opened up a lot of diversity for me. Mm. And for me, it allowed me to better understand because I could never fully understand um, God's diverse creation and beauty mm -hmm. in a lot of ways when we have a continued binary uh, pushed forward in our theology we're stifling um, God's abilities to show us um, this diverse awe-inspiring creation mm. I think that's a really interesting point that kind of draw towards binary or duality in our theology um mm -hmm. in the way that that kind of it limits god it limits us like uh, yeah I, i'm like really i'm really curious about like would would you maybe be willing to talk more about kind of what you've discovered about god in exploring kind of that non-duality non-binary well i i guess i um I'm trying to remember their last name. Um, their name is at their Twitter handle at Grumpy Theology. Um, yes, <laughs> um, um, you know they said something that was really beautiful. I think it was response. I believe it was them. You know, if it wasn't them, it was one of the other amazing bi theologians that I follow. <laughs> yeah, um, in response to actually theologian N.T. Wright, right, and their continued um, like gender complementarity mess. But they said something so beautiful about um, how can you see um, uh, you know, something about how uh, nature is, uh, hold on, I'm going to get this right because okay. I don't want to ruin the, the wording, but it's, <laughs> it's something about how, how can you see like the ocean crash into the waves and um, the sun go from you know, peak day to dusk and see all that in between and still push this binary creation of God. And of course, mm -hmm. the way they wrote it was this beautiful paragraph that was just like, gave me chills. Right. Um, and that really placed a lot of um, a wording or language around my um, my feelings and, uh, about about my own sexuality and, and, and that um, it being informed by my faith and vice versa. Hmm. Um, it's just and, and this this is one of the reasons bisexual people can be great allies to trans people and vice versa. One because there's so many bi trans people. Right. Um, but as we are able to acknowledge and celebrate the diversity of sexual orientation and gender identity, we're also acknowledging and celebrating um, God's creativity and God's um, want and desire for more than just um, man and woman, and gay right. or straight, um, right. and, and wanting something much, which much, much more plurality and much more the, um, options and diversity and just, it feels so much more opening mm -hmm. so that, that makes sense it just mm -hmm. feels so much more opening to be able to see um, my God through that light mm -hmm. it's a much broader picture of who God is it feels like you're only painting with two colors right. when you're when you're discussing things in such a binary way and this is more than gender sexuality for just saying um but it's really the foundation that they pull from their theology mm -hmm. going through Genesis. And it's just that um, it's 
feels liberating to be able to see in the full spectrum yeah. that I feel is meant to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you do, you do a lot of writing around bisexuality uh, and yeah. bisexual erasure. And I've like, I've pulled like quote upon quote upon quote, and I'm not going to read all of them, but like one of them that I think would lead to a really interesting conversation, especially since I'm seeing a lot of kind of ex gay stuff resurface uh, on my Facebook feed. I don't know if that's happening with other people, but on my Facebook feed, it seems to be all over the place right now. Uh, And you wrote in a piece a little while ago that uh, successful ex gay stories wouldn't hold any water if it weren't for bisexual erasure. It's not bisexuals that are liars as ex-gays. It's the church manipulating LGBT people into denying their sexuality in order to appease anti-LGBT theology. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think, like, <laughs> amen. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, this is really funny. I only started writing about bisexuality because I felt like I had to. When I started writing, I really started writing about faith and sexuality and... And people would detract or take a detour in the comment section and and, and conversations around my piece about whatever the topic was at hand because I identified as bisexual and I felt there was such a um, need to mm. kind of um, push away some of those misconceptions and do some educating, right. if for the very least to be able to like link in my pieces about other things as I continue to identify that way. Right. Um, and then I just do, started doing a lot more um, in, in it that I felt called to it. But the um, the ex-gay portion of it is a great um, example of when these two kind of worlds just really layered for me. Because it was, at, at some point as an activist, I kept continued to see individuals who would, without a doubt, say that they were romantically and sexually attracted to their partner of a different gender after mm-hmm. claiming a gay identity for mm-hmm. such a long time. And if I were to believe them in that, it, it could only mean that they had attractions to multiple genders. Mm-hmm. Um, but the language around in the church, around sexuality, both in non-affirming and affirming spaces, is so incredibly binary right. that people didn't have the language for themselves or to be able to, to see this kind of conversation through that lens. Yeah. This is a tricky thing to do because I didn't want to vilify bisexual people. Right. Because that's how I felt. I was worried that people were going to be like throwing some ex-gay people and like, well, throwing like bisexual people underneath the bus with ex-gay people who were actually bisexual mm. um, in their, in their um, righteous anger over how they're using their stories to weaponize, uh, how they weaponize their own stories um, against others. Mm-hmm. But um, I also think there's a little bit of a um, our own fault too for continuing to push by stories mm. and by people um, to the margins, um, right. and that continued erasure has allowed for this to happen and flourish. It, it is a, a big cornerstone of it is being able to name yourself and that agency around identity. Mm. Um, and I understand that. I also understand there are times that individuals' stories. Um, harm communities that I work for because they're the way they're platformed and because they're the way they're used. Hmm. Um, and so, at the very least, if we, if we want to do, if we, if we, you know, don't want to claim their bisexuality, we can say that they are, they have bisexual attractions, or they have, or they're engaging in bisexual sex. If they don't want to claim bisexual identity, but mm-hmm. at, at some point, I have to call a spade a spade if 
they're going to use those stories against gay people and gay youth. Right. Yeah, because I, I think what's what's coming to mind is like you mentioned you mentioned several layers there, like the kind of like that the ex gay world, but also kind of like our own complicity within the LGBT community to continue to erase bisexual identity and how that plays in. Like I, I, I'm thinking about like Aaron Carter coming out this past week uh, mm-hmm. and kind of everything that's been going on with that. And how it just seems to make people really uncomfortable. I'm so I am. I was, I'm, I was so frustrated this week. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have a piece coming out about Aaron Carter that will kind of discuss what I'm going to tell you now, um, out tomorrow. But um, it is incredible the lanes people will go to not use the word bisexual. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, uh, it's a game of semantics for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's so odd for Aaron Carter to say, I am attracted to men and women in his initial statement. And media and folks refuse to use the word bisexual. Mm-hmm. And it is wild to me because if someone were to say, I only like the same gender, right. no one would say that, no one would have a problem calling them gay. Right. right? There's just, there's this huge aversion, which is absolutely rooted in biphobia and ignorance that mm-hmm. makes people not want to use that word. Now today, uh, Aaron Carter did an interview with Bill Wood and the first thing is that life after coming out is bisexual and he co-signed that. So it's like, so now people are okay using it, which is so odd. But like, huh. it just doesn't it doesn't make um, any sense. It's continued. Um, I mean, I, I guess it does make sense if you really look at the history of how people, bisexual people have been pushed in the margins in the LGBT community for the last fifty years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's so odd. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd be curious, and this may be putting you on the spot. Um, you mentioned that history. Is that something? you'd be willing to give a quick crash course in of like what the history of bisexuality. Cause I feel like we know a lot of our gay history, our lesbian history, that part of the history is not yeah. talked about as much. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's so interesting to see <clears throat> bisexual people push to, uh, the sides historically, you know, the San Francisco LGBT museum three, four years ago had a really great exhibition of 40 years of bisexual advocacy in history. Um, in the Bay Area um, that they pulled together, which is really nice. So it's definitely there, and, and, and there's definitely resources and content and literature and exhibitions at LGBT uh, museums. It's right. just people aren't as readily aware of them. Hmm. Um, but just simple things, as much as, uh, you know, uh, Brenda Howard, who I adore, is, um, or, or a, histor- a, historical, a historical figure since she passed, I don't know, uh, hmm. five, six years ago, um, co-organized the Christopher Street Liberation Day March that is now Pride. And mm. she's actually known as another Pride. And mm. it's so funny to see a bunch of people say that bisexual people shouldn't be at Pride when Pride is only around because of a bisexual woman. Mm. Um, and there's also a lot in the HIV and AIDS crisis of bisexual people being villainized yeah. um, uh, because when women started um, also showing signs of HIV, and AIDS, um, it was blamed towards bisexual people, and right. there was this um, a weird um, labeling of of, of of promiscuity towards bisexual people that gay people themselves didn't do, even if they were at the same level of promiscuity, though 
they were with the same gender. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of also pushed a lot of bisexual people into the closets and the more things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a, there's a lot, but it's right. um, but it's still it's 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 something that I think we're just now in the last five ten years really starting to be able to see some type of a movement in media where we are at the very beginning in a lot of ways of doing some re-education um, around this community so we can, um, yeah, right. so we can remedy the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think that that idea of, like, kind of the fluidity of attraction um, seems to be a pretty common experience, like, when you look at the research mm-hmm. and... Um, and yet, as uh, I talked about this a little bit with Rosemary Jones a couple episodes ago, but about like how so the data shows a great majority of people experience fluidity in their tr- attraction, and yet it's only like I don't know what she said, but some minuscule amount of people who actually identify as bisexual. Uh, and there seems to be I'm really curious. big disparity around that. So I'm curious to what study she's referring. She referred that. Yeah, she I. I she mentioned the study in the episode. I don't remember exactly what it was, um, but it, it was a really interesting to statistic to show, like to point out, like there's a really big disparity between people's experiences and then, and then the words that they use to describe it. Um, um, I mean, I'm curious because I, I, that, uh, some maybe, uh, mm-hmm. the, I mean, the, I don't, I'm trying not, I'm trying to think of any study I can think of that has ever said that. Okay. I can think of it. I've literally read every study that's my bisexuality in the last five, six years. Okay. Maybe something older, but um, I mean, every study I've seen has has showed a strong amount of people identifying bisexual, especially uh, people of color and trans people, which mm-hmm. com- always comprise the largest portions of. Uh, the bisexual community, right. um, and even for younger generations, which a lot of people think are moving towards different labels, mm-hmm. HRC did, did uh, 10,000 LGBT, LGBT youth survey, um, 10, 000, out of 10,000, 38% of them identified as bisexual, with mm-hmm. 7% as pansexual, and 4% as queer. So even the largest out of that group of non-monosexual identities identify with the word bisexual. Um, I'm not sure if people are afraid of, of identifying with the word bisexual Mm-hmm. As much as, um, I mean, some some are. I just, I don't know. I, I've never heard of that thing. I'm really curious. Now. Yeah. I'll have to look at huh. the episode and pull that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that makes me really curious about it, too. Um, so this is this is a pivot. Um, mm-hmm. You... It's a video. I'm just kidding. Sorry. That's funny. <laughs> I <hope> it's a video. <laughs> that's a media joke that no one else is going to get if they don't. Ah, anyways. <laughs> Um, so you started this uh, hashtag a, f- a couple of years ago called Faithfully LGBT. 2014, yeah. yeah. Years so it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's been around for a little while. It's, it's one that I know, like so many people use it, and it's, been, it's become this kind of incredible community mm-hmm. um, online space uh, for, for a, such a wide variety of people who identify as being people of faith and... LGBT, queer. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about what, like, Faithfully LGBT, why did you start it? What are your hopes for it? You're doing some so, more around it right yeah, now. Yeah, like, I am. So 
I have okay. The, I basically the tweet is actually the name of my column in religion news service. Right. And that's how the hashtag came to be. I thought I would use it on Twitter so that people could click it and see all my columns that I've written. Mm. Um, that was my initial intent of hashtagging it. Yeah. Um, so that people could follow my the writings that I was writing two or three times a week <laughs> mm. um, about faith and sexuality. So it was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I would go to travel to different conferences to report on and do commentary on, I started tweeting, you know, pull quotes from like conferences at like ERLC mm. <laughs> and like, um, and I went to one Notre Dame that, that was a, um, a conversation about gays and Catholics. Mm. Um, and I would give my own commentary underneath that hashtag. And it just kind of grew into this more than just sharing my stuff, but I would share my own story using the hashtag and um, share things about faith and sexuality underneath that hashtag. And that kind of allowed other people to do that as well. Mm-hmm. I started sharing other news articles about faith and sexuality because I, um, I have a ton of Google alerts for LGBT faith stuff. So mm-hmm. I would find really interesting stories and I would try to amplify them and so mm-hmm. should those and so did other folks. Um, and it became kind of this, you know, this community to the point where even after my column, which was a grant-funded column for a year, mm-hmm. um, ended, it kind of continued with me. I, you know, as I travel so much and do this work as a faith organizer, I just met so many LGBT people of faith with such incredible and like sacred stories mm-hmm. and I wanted to find a way to share those. So. The idea for this photo series came from wanting to share those stories and mm. um, giving them light. Um, so we started the photo series like 2000 and either, it was, maybe it was just a year and a half ago, I guess. Mm. It was early January 2016. Mm. Um, and we started taking photos at the Gay Christian Network Conference. We started taking photos. We had some open calls and we took some photos out. Um, and also created some merchandise because I always saw, like, I, 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 I wanted to be able to fund this mm-hmm. as well as give people um, something to wear that, that probably proclaims their sexual orientation and faith. Instead of crazy t-shirts <laughs> and mm. stickers. And it, it's kind of good. I, I recently decided to breathe some you know new air into it because it's actually it's more for personal things than anything else. I had such a hard time two years ago mm-hmm. when I, well, I graduated, you know, I just graduated college not too long ago, two years ago. Mm-hmm. It does. Um, and it was very, very hard for me that last semester. I, I was doing work on a very conservative Christian campus, helping create, I created an unofficial Christian alliance to help um, establish a handful of others at our sister schools across the nation while I was writing for an national publications around faith and sexuality mm-hmm. um, and having people call my school to get me expelled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that really took a toll on me. I was really, really tired. Mm-hmm. So tired. Um, and I I really haven't had a church home since then mm-hmm. because I didn't, I just, I, I'm like, I'm detoxing so much because I, I was so... I was so exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, it was three, four years on my campus that I was visibly and vocally doing this work and everything from threatened legal action from my world church to just, it was just a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of doing this because I, um, I'm, I'm, I've always, you know, I'm, I've, 
I've never doubted my faith, but I've doubted the church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I doubt the church all the time. Mm-hmm. And I need a reminder of why people hold on mm-hmm. so desperately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to start crying. Mm-hmm. Um, and faith the LGBT has been so important to me. So, um, I've always felt the closest to God and my faith around people who have suffered and people who have gone through things that I've gone through. Mm-hmm. And so I think right now, personally, I just need that. <laughs> I need that. I need it again. Um, I crave it. Um, so I'm. I want to take 100 more photos. <laughs> We've taken about 40. Um, I want to do video series because I think we need to pay a bit of video. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, no, because we. I, I think there's there's you know there's something really special to being being able to tell someone's story uh, on video format. Mm. Um, I really want to diversify the faith backgrounds. I mm. have. Um, you know, it's predominantly Christian with some Jewish faith tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to do some educating of myself in those experiences, and I um, and I want to be able to do this to um, have a little church. Yeah, that seems like a pretty common experience of wanting that feeling of church. Like, I think for so many people who grew up within faith communities and know what it's like to kind of have that that core community around you that you know is there for you that oftentimes we lose when we come out um, and then are left searching for that. And I feel like this hashtag has changed that for a lot of people. Um, So even if we're not in like physical spaces with each other, there's a community that we can go to that's there um yeah yeah it's incredible um i love it it's so much bigger than me i get really protective of it because i don't because as it grows there's some people who get on it who aren't just there to spread violent theology and i get really um and i know that's just part of it growing Mm -hmm. um um, but i just see so many young queer people Mm -hmm. using it and um I want them to feel safe in that space. Um, But I think it has been that for a lot of people, and I'm just so um, happy to have helped create that space, and I just want uh, to do more. Mm -hmm. So what I'm doing now is that I'm I'm, I'm fundraising to um, do some more things. You know what, I was very far from our goal right now, Um, but I'm producing it, because I know that the money is going to come through somehow, some way, whether it's through this campaign that I'm doing now or in other ways, but um, I have all the people that I'm shooting for the video lined up. I'm oh, starting nice. to schedule the dates. Um, I have some really queer, uh, some really awesomely queer <laughs> Muslim folks that I'm, you know, planning uh, to begin with because mm-hmm. I feel that that's the community that I haven't done the best in representing in this hashtag. And, yeah. um, so we're moving forward mm-hmm. <laughs> with or without the funds um, right. um, and kind of having um, 
that leap of faith, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you, you bring up that point of kind of the importance of sharing our stories, the importance of like speaking the truth about our lives, speaking our experiences and the way that those stories change other people. Um, and I'm curious as someone is, as you have been collecting stories after stories and doing the work that you've been doing for years now, like what would you say you've kind of learned about the power of story and the importance of story, uh, in this work? You say collecting, that's a good way to put it. Cause I, that's one of the reasons we don't, I don't want people to submit their photos, even if they're well shot and their quotes, because there's, it, I want, I want that experience. And that sounds so selfish. <laughs> um, I want that experience of being there and asking certain prompt questions um, and hearing that, even if it's for the five, seven minutes that we have that interaction. Right. Um, and as someone who works in media, people typically aren't as, um, I don't know if it's transparent or as well, people speak better than they write typically. So yeah. being able to just speak and being able to record that and then transcribe it is mm-hmm. going to come up with a much better, much more powerful quote than if they were to write it themselves. Right. Um, typically. Um, but, um, I mean, there's so much I've learned and there's so much yet work to that I want to do. I mean, I, I mean, I've learned, I mean, from my advocacy in bisexuality and in faith stuff has always been media-based because of stories and how impactful they are for change. Mm. Um, um, especially in the, in, in the conversation uh, of faith and sexuality in the church, um, folks typically speak about this in such a theoretical fashion that right. in being able to help share stories, we're helping to humanize that conversation in a way that doesn't allow people to speak about us in the same way. Mm. Um, and in a lot of ways, that's, that's, that's a translator thing. I'm mm. thinking as someone who speaks multiple languages, I'm thinking of being both a Christian and a person of faith and hearing how Christians talk about people and understanding what they're trying to get at in terms of the theology, but also understanding as an LGBT person that they're talking about me in a, very, in a, in, in a way that's intrinsically tied to me. Mm. Um, and how that um, language affects us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those stories, I believe, help um, create that level playing field mm-hmm. for us to have those conversations, especially in, 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 in times where so many leaders refuse to have conversations with us. Right. Um, I try to use my platform and my multiple connections in media mm-hmm. <laughs> to be able to divert the powers that be in the evangelical or Christian gatekeepers and keeping these stories on the margins um, and sharing them with the masses instead. Mm. Um, and I think ultimately that's what will, um, that's what has shifted the conversations time and time again throughout much longer than the five years that I've been doing this work. Right. Um, but what will continue to shift those conversations mm. um, is when we. Um, are unable to escape the stories of LGBT people um, being irreparably harmed from violent theology mm-hmm. um, and having anti 
LGBT theologians and those who, who follow that unable to turn away from the violence their theology has wrought. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about because I know there are people who listen to this podcast who haven't come out, who are yearning to come out, but live in places where, or maybe in situations where that's not possible. Um, and and I think oftentimes you know we have these these conversations and put the importance of like sharing your story, uh, and which is vitally important. But like for people who aren't in situations where that's possible. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them, to people who are listening, who who aren't able to speak their truth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would tell them that I'm fighting for a day that they can. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what I do when I wake up every morning, mm-hmm. um, all day, every day. That I fight so that those spaces um, don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that folks don't ever think that by them not sharing their story, that a safety or concern um, or their inability to discount them in any ways. Um, I think it only means that um, there's that many more stories um, to be heard mm-hmm. to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard, and that, and that, and, that, and it, it frustrates me because that's definitely um, the experience. For so many people, and so many people that I meet, and so many people, I mean, as I go throughout the country and speak, and um, I, there's always people who will be too afraid to talk to me mm-hmm. at my during my my speaker talk, and then I'll have give them my email, and then I email, multiple people will email me afterwards and talk about their experiences mm-hmm. of being in the closet and not knowing how to come out or where to be, and, and I get that, and it's such a scary space to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope that the stories of others that I that I help share, or when we share our own, that we can create some type of comfort for them to know that um, one day too they'll be able to share theirs. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. So, and you've mentioned this a little bit. You have you have this Indiegogo campaign uh, working <laughs> to fund this new faith for the LGBT project. Uh, you have talked about it, but I'm wondering if you could talk about it a little bit more. How can people support this? Um, what's going on with that? Yeah, so right now we are we have two weeks left to, um, I'm trying to raise $20,000. And that seems like it's so much money, um, but I've raised so much more. Mm-hmm. So it's not too bad. And about a, two, about a year and a half ago, it, we raised six or $7,000 mm-hmm. uh, for people LGBT. So it's definitely something that's uh, doable. But I'm raising money to take 100 more photos and to shoot six to eight videos of LGBT people of faith. Mm-hmm. I can't do this alone. And I've funded a lot throughout the years of my own money. Right. And, and I, but I want to be able to pay the photographers and graphic designers and um, uh, videographers and editors and mm-hmm. all the people that I'm going to be using, all of which will be queer people, um, for this work. Mm-hmm. And also to be able to travel to a few different cities. I, I found that open calls don't work out very well. So mm. interesting. Um, we'll only be like a, maybe one or two people will show up, if, if anyone. Right. So we're going to have to be very intentional in speaking out these stories and, and just literally being coming to affirming churches or going to groups or Bible studies or these amazing spaces that queer people of faith are creating mm. uh, t- 
to be able to thrive in all across the country, reaching out to those spaces and, and working with them yeah. <laughs> to, to photograph their communities, which will take some travel, um, you know, and time to bring a, a photographer with me, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have two weeks for that. There's, I mean, there's some really cute perks, and actually, actually some other perks and things that we'll be um, sharing. But so far, if we, if, if every person that followed LGBT, LGBT on Twitter or Facebook donated even five dollars, right. we'd be almost there, right? Because we have that big of a platform. Yeah. Um, so I think just a little bit goes a long ways, and um, I hope that if anyone's ever been impacted by this um, community. As much, at least, even you know, as much as I have. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but if they're able to give or commit themselves to sharing this campaign with five people who they know can give, because yeah. um, I think using other folks' networks in that is a very powerful way of doing community fundraising. Mm-hmm. It's also a fantastic way for allies to show up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot that is kind of inspired me to do this now i wanted to wait i think until later in the fall if not next year to really push through this because just because of timing and things but everything that's happened with eugene peterson Mm -hmm. um and with um i had an experience of of letting a a a film crew come into my home to shoot a video Mm. um from the Hope Channel. The Hope Channel is a, a Seventh-day Adventist media group. Mm. So it's definitely not an affirming group, but mm-hmm. um, they wanted me to share my story, and, and it came to my home last November, and I found out last, oh, two weeks ago that they decided to pull it. Mm. And when I was told that they pulled it, I was told the execs refused to even watch the video. Mm. And that was really both hurtful, but just kind of, a good reminder of how powerful stories are. Because that wasn't their argument theology. I was there telling them my experience as a queer person growing up in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And in uh, in that of itself, that was enough to threaten their ideology. Mm. (laughs) And I want to just create more for us, Mm. by us. Mm -hmm. Um, I I actually, I'm I'm, I'm nuts. I sat down for like two hours a couple weeks ago and have I'm doing a two and a five year plan for the LGBT nice. and things that I want to accomplish. And one of those things that I can at least share now is also that I, I really want to create a publication mm. um, where I publish one essay, essay, or maybe reported piece, analysis, mm. um, something once a week, and that we mm. pay. Mm. Um, I I see so many really brilliant. LGBT people of faith writing and blogs mm-hmm. and in the corners of the internet and I want to use my platform to uplift those brilliant voices and also pay them for the time and effort um, I'm one of the very few people who are lucky enough to write about faith and sexuality and mm-hmm. get paid for it on right. various places mm-hmm. but even the places that I've written for I'm, I'm not going to like name names but there's not that many places so people can figure out by looking up who <laughs> I've written for um, are, I mean a lot of the editors for a lot of, of religion um, publications, whether they be secular publications and just religious verticals, are themselves not affirming LGBT people. I will make all the excuses not to run my mm-hmm. voice or other LGBT affirming voices. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I've been published in, in right. dozens and dozens of publications. So, um, I, again, when I say that, I again feel the need to want uh, to 
amplified such amazing analysis and critiques and mm -hmm. theology. Um, and there's a, a lot of other things that I want to do that I'm excited for in the future. But these are the things that I want to work on now. Yeah. And I want to begin by collecting more stories. So people can support FaithToLGBT.com. Right now, our landing page will take you directly to Indiegogo. Um, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Instagram, all mm -hmm. at LGBT. Um and I'm moving forward, with or without money. I don't know how I'm going to pay for it yet. But if people want to help, <laughs> they can. <laughs> I'm just being really stubborn. I feel very, yeah. I feel very called right now to do it, so I'm doing it. Um, yeah. and, and believing God will provide. So, mm -hmm. mm, great. I love it. Uh, uh, well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, My pleasure. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Good luck. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You can support Eliel's work and the work of Faithfully LGBT by heading over to faithfullylgbt.com. Uh, that'll take you straight to that Indiegogo campaign where you can donate to that work. Eliel is on Twitter at Eliel Cruz, uh, and his website is elielcruz.com. Go check out some of his writing. Uh, Queerology is on Twitter at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. And Queerology is produced with support from listeners just like you. Now you can head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to see how you can help support Queerology. Uh, one way of doing that is by leaving a review. I'd love it if you'd head to iTunes or just go to MatthiasRoberts.com review. It'll take you right there. And as always, I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what you think. Until next week. Bye! Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.